All right, let's do what we're comfortable doing, and that's opening our Bibles and hearing from God's Word together. And we're going to be in Titus together. And, and really, I just want to jump into this topic that we're going to discuss, and that is the assurance of salvation. The assurance of salvation. I want to hopefully be of an encouragement to you from the Word of God about the assurance of salvation. Uh, really, the, the topic is best um, introduced with a question. Can I be sure that I'm saved? How can I be sure that I'm saved? Can I even be certain? And the reality is this, that most people live their lives, their Christian lives even, wondering if they are truly saved, always living in uncertainty, questioning, doubting, wondering if they've earned enough favor to be in the good graces of God, wondering if they've done enough, wondering if they've gone to church the right way, wondering if they said the prayer the right way, wondering if their baptism was enough, wondering uh, if uh, they showed enough kindness throughout their life to be certain of their salvation. Sometimes it comes down to this, just bad theology. It's just wrong theology that not even knowing that you can actually have the assurance of salvation and living your entire life not even knowing that that's even a, a real thing, that the Bible even addresses the assurance of salvation. And so we go on in our Christian life always wondering. We wake up every day wondering, am I saved? Did I, did I lose my salvation last night in the middle of the night? Did I lose my salvation yesterday and do I need to regain it today? And you go on living your life wondering, am I saved today? Am I not saved today? Will I ever have the assurance of salvation? And many of us know this by experience. Uncertainty is demoralizing, Right? Uncertainty is paralyzing. Uncertainty zaps motivation. It suffocates the enthusiasm and the joy of the Lord when we live in this uncertainty because we're so concerned about our own salvation. How can we even be concerned about obedience? How can we be concerned about others when we ourselves aren't even sure of our own salvation? On the other hand, when we know for certain what God's Word teaches about salvation, when we know for certain the plan of salvation, and we know for certain that we have been saved by the grace of God, that makes us zealous for good deeds. We know it's fixed. We know for sure that we have the hope of eternal, of eternal life. And that motivates us for good deeds. That makes us zealous for good deeds. R.C. Sproul, a theologian, uh, said it this way in this quote. He says this. He says, the key to fruitfulness, the key to manifest, manifesting a productive Christian life is to have a life that is founded solidly on the assurance of one's salvation in Christ. The unsure Christ, Christian is tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. The unsure Christian is easy prey for the assault of Satan, who does everything in his malicious power to undermine the Christian's confidence in Christ. A Christian who lacks such confidence can easily become trapped in insecurity and may lack the boldness to venture out in the domain of a fallen world armed with the whole armor of God. Horatius Bonner says it this way, Uncertainty 
as to our relationship with God is one of the most weakening and dispiriting of things. It makes a man heartless. It takes the soul out of him. He cannot fight. He cannot run. He is easily dismayed and gives way. He can do nothing for God. But when we know that we are of God, we are vigorous, brave, invincible, there is no more quickening truth than this of assurance. I knew we were going to come across this topic weeks ago when it came to the assurance of salvation, and my prayer has been since knowing that, is that you would fully grasp this truth and this doctrine because it is so motivating to the Christian life. And I know from experience, even in my own life, the struggles I've had with knowing if I'm truly saved. And I'm sure there's some of you who have had this same question come up. Am I truly saved? Can I have the full assurance of salvation? And that's been my prayer this, this week especially is that you would grasp what Paul tells Titus about the assurance of salvation and you will embrace it as your own. That you will have the assurance of eternal life. Before we read Titus, I just want to pray for you guys as we jump into this and study this doctrine. Maybe it's one that you'll hear for the first time and that really that the Holy Spirit would, would guide you in all truth this morning. Heavenly Father, uh, we want to be humble. We want to be submissive to your word. We want to come up underneath you and what you've given to us in the word of God, the promises of scripture. And we want to be taught the truth. I am certain that nobody cares what I think about this topic and that everybody cares what God thinks about this topic. And that's who we want to hear from. We want to hear from you this morning. And I simply want to be a messenger of truth for you. Lord, for those who are feeling discouraged even about the assurance of their own salvation, I pray that this morning uh, they would come to a point of certainty, that they would be secured in Jesus Christ and in the promises of God for their salvation and not in their own works or their own efforts. Teach us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're in Titus chapter 1 here. Let's read verses 1 to 4 together and we'll jump into a single sentence. Well, I lied. Part of a sentence this morning. Uh, for our time of study. This is what it says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in the hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifest in his word through the preaching, with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Savior. Uh, we don't have to get very far into these opening four verses to really understand the depth of theology that, that Paul is teaching us, the doctrines that, that Paul is teaching us. 
And Paul is writing this letter to Titus, who he left on the island of Crete to strengthen various churches on that island. And he introduces this letter to, to Titus with identifying marks of who Paul is, his authority, uh, what motivated him, why he lived, some of his even doctrine and theology, and he passes it down to Titus, almost like a passing of the baton uh, for Titus to take and to teach to these churches in Crete. And what Paul does in giving us these four verses that are really about himself and his convictions uh, is that he tells us why it is that he does what he does. These are the convictions of the Apostle Paul. This is what drove him. This is why, why he did what he did. This is why he lived the life that he, that he lived. And we came up with, we've looked at two of these convictions already. The first conviction that, that the Apostle Paul gave us was that he embraced his identity in God. He embraced his identity in God, and that's what it says. Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ. He, he knew who he was. He was a servant. He was a, an ambassador for Jesus Christ. He was a messenger for Christ, and he embraced that identity. Secondly, he embraced the mission of God. Because he was a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, a messenger of God, he, he then had a mission for God, and it says there very clearly, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. His, his mission was to make disciples. His mission was to be an evangelist, but it didn't stop there. It was also to mature disciples as well. And so Paul had this twofold purpose, twofold mission in life. It was to make and mature disciples of Jesus Christ. And all of it was set, you can see there, based on their knowledge of the truth. The knowledge of the Word of God is what drove this making and maturing of disciples. And that leads then to the third conviction of the Apostle Paul, and it was this. To embrace the hope of eternal life from God. Look at verse 2. His identity and his mission led to this. In the hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. The only way that the Apostle Paul was able to embrace his identity, the only way the Apostle Paul was to embrace his mission with this great purpose of of, of making and maturing disciples of Jesus Christ was that he had the hope of eternal life to cling to. The only way that he could live with such strong convictions was that he believed that his salvation was secure in God. There wasn't times when, when the Apostle Paul was like, oh man, I, I'm kind of uncertain about this. I don't know what's really going on. And he became paralyzed in his mission. He embraced the security of God so strongly that it drove him to this mission. Everything he did in life was about this mission, and what motivated him to that mission was the fact that he knew for certain that he was saved and going to heaven. You can see it there, in the hope of eternal life. The hope of eternal life. When we uh, talk about hope, I think there's not very much of it these days <laughs> when it comes to hope. 
Uh, let me just give you a definition of what worldly hope is. And worldly hope is not biblical hope, but this is worldly hope. It is this, a feeling of expectation and a desire for a certain thing to happen. For example, I hope the coronavirus goes away. All right, I have a feeling of desire that, uh, that, I, uh, that I think it's going to happen at some point, and then there's days where I'm like, there's, there's no, it's not going anywhere. It's here forever. Or, I hope to win the lottery. I never play, but I hope to win. All right, you have this feeling of, I, I want it to happen, you're not sure it's going to happen. Uh, uh, you got to pay to play kind of a thing, and you just got to, there, it's more like a, more like a wish, right? I, I wish it to happen. When you hope for something, that hope is based off of something. The hope that the coronavirus goes away is based off of what? Science and data and the government and all these agencies and all that. That's what we base our hope off of, right? It's based on something. Uh, the hope of winning the lottery is based on the numbers that are chosen to win the lottery or the amount of times you play. You, you base your hope on this thing, uncertain if it's ever going to happen. But you hope it does. That's worldly hope. Okay, this is biblical hope. Biblical hope is this, write this down, a confident expectation, believing that what is not yours will be yours. It's a confident expectation. It's not a wish. It's believing that what is not yet yours, eternal life, will be yours absolutely, confidently, certainly, and assuredly. Because your hope is not based on circumstances, your hope is not based on you. Your hope is not based on your holiness. Your hope is based on God, His promises, His person, and His plan. Listen, this is a crucial difference for those who, who are not sure of their salvation. This is exactly the heart of the problem with people who are uncertain about their salvation, this struggle with the assurance of their salvation is that, is that their hope is based on their performance. Listen, if your hope for eternal life is based on your performance, I get why you struggle. I understand why you struggle. That's what your hope's based off of. You're going to continue to struggle. Even if you believe in Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, but yet you're holding on to some sort of performance to be in the good graces of God, you're going to struggle with this. It's a misplaced hope. It's actually grounded in you. I made a decision. I walked the aisle. I was baptized. I, I go to church. I read my Bible. I, 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 I. That's the struggle. Your hope is in I. Like I said, this was a, a struggle for me. And, and just so you guys know, I grew up in a, a family that I think I was born, and like three days later, I was in the nursery. That, that was my life. I was in church like, like right away. I don't remember that, in case you're wondering, but that was it. And then on Wednesdays, I was at Awana. And then on Sundays, I was at church. And 
Back then, you had Sunday night church. I know, it's like, wow, twice in one day? Yeah, we went twice in one day. And not only that, we went to two services in the morning and then one at night. And then we came back on Wednesday. And I did cubbies. I did Awana. I learned verses. And you would think if there's anybody who should be sure of their salvation, it would be that child who was in all of that. Guess what? That was not my experience. That was not my experience at all. In fact, I would lay in bed at night wondering if during that day I did something that uh, got me out of the graces of God. That I forfeited my salvation somehow because I disobeyed my parents. I did something I shouldn't have done or I thought a certain thought. And I should have been the one that had the full assurance of salvation. And I know there's some of you right now nodding your head in agreement with me because you felt that same thing. And it wasn't until I had to realize this, that I was putting all my hope in what? My performance to God. My hope was actually grounded in me. How many Bible verses did I have memorized? <laughs> A lot. How much offering from the, the $3 that I made did I give? Was it enough to God? Is he happy? Is he satisfied with my life? Because I didn't want to go to hell. I really didn't. I didn't, I didn't want to lose my salvation that day. And so I felt like I had to keep it up in this maintenance and running on a treadmill over and over and over again in hopes God would continue to love me and not take away the salvation that he had given to me. It wasn't until I got to college that I was able to study some amazing verses. I actually took a class on salvation and I actually had to study what the Bible said about salvation. And I came across some amazing verses that guarantee salvation. Okay, I want you to, to write these verses down. You need to commit these to memory in your life if you struggle with the assurance of salvation. Number one is this, Philippians 1.6. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul says this, I am absolutely certain that what God started in you, he is going to complete. John 10, 27 and 29 to 29 says this, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. So what's he saying? He's saying this, that Jesus holds you in his hand, and then God the Father takes his hand and seals down even Jesus' hand. You're in Jesus' hand held tightly, the good shepherd, and then God the Father who's greater than all doubles down on that security. John 3.36 says this, very simple. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. There's a simplicity to that, right? Whoever believes has eternal life. John 5, 24, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, in him you also whom you have heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise, a Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. 
the guarantee of the Holy Spirit. Even Jonah read it already this morning. The guarantee of the Holy Spirit. 1 John 2.25 says this. So simple, yet so profound. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. This is the promise he has made to us, eternal life. Okay, here's the, here's, here's the catch here, okay? This is the crucial point here that you have to decide about those verses that I just read. Either God is going to keep your salvation, either God is saying to you that you can be assured of your salvation, or God is lying to you. He will not actually finish what he started in you. He will not actually double down on his security in your life. It's not true that if you believe, you will have eternal life. Either God is lying to you, or you can hold him to his word and say, God, you promised me eternal life. You said that you will give me and grant me eternal life if I believe in you. You promised that if you begin a good work in me, you're going to complete it until the day of salvation. You promised the Holy Spirit. In fact, you called it the Holy Spirit of promise as the guarantee of my salvation. Either God is telling you the truth or he is a liar. And you can't trust him. The Apostle Paul knew that. The Apostle Paul knew that that was the thing that we had to decide upon. Is God lying to us or is he telling us the truth and can we really put our hope in him? So much so, he wrote it in Titus for us. What's the next line after it says, in the hope of Jesus Christ? Or the hope of eternal life. Which God who what? Who never lies. Which God who cannot lie. This is what we're confronted with this morning. Either God's a liar and we're all fooled and tricked and this whole thing about eternal life and hope is, a, is, is the biggest, mis, biggest lie ever created or God's actually going to do what he says he's going to do. And God's actually going to keep you and your salvation through all eternity. The only way we have hope, listen, the only way we have hope, the only way we have assurance of salvation, the hope of eternal life, is if we believe in a God who cannot and will not lie to us. That's the only way. We have to take it off of ourselves and say, okay, God, I'm not hoping in myself. I'm hoping in you. I'm placing my entire hope in eternal life to a God who cannot and will not lie to me about this situation especially. And we have to embrace that. We have to submit to that. And when we submit to that, and when we embrace that, those, those verses that we read, this doctrine of, of the assurance of salvation, that we could never lose our salvation, that God holds it for us, that God keeps it for us, that we can never sin our way out of the grace of God, that we can never sin our way out of the love of God, that He has truly sealed us with the Holy Spirit of promise. He's not going to take the Holy Spirit away from us and then give it back to us when we decide we want it back and then takes it from us and then gives it back to us when we decide we want it back. He's not going to do that. 
But when we submit to the, the truths of God word, God's word in that way, and we realize that our salvation is settled, that motivates us towards holy living. I can get motivated about obeying God if I know I'm going to heaven. I could get courageous and bold about evangelism if I know I'm going to heaven. If I'm going to spend my entire life thinking I'm going to heaven and in the last week I lose it, how demoralizing is that? What's the whole point of holy living if I'm just going to lose it? It motivates us. And this is what Paul was saying. For the sake of the faith of the elect and the knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. I'm going to pursue godliness. Why? Because I have a hope of eternal life. From who? A God who never lies. A God who cannot lie. Who promised before the ages. And so we're motivated by the promise of God, the hope of eternal life. I want to just show you one verse here in Romans chapter 15 and verse 13. I found this so encouraging this week. One that I did not expect to read, but this is what it says in Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. How do we abound in hope? Through the power of the Holy Spirit from what? A God of hope. And this is the point that the Apostle Paul is making. We're motivated towards godliness and the hope of eternal life because of the assurance of salvation from a God. Now I want you to show now I want to show you this now. Paul wants that hope grounded in something. Okay, and he tells us what our hope needs to be grounded in. In fact, there's two things that our hope needs to be grounded in, or we can, we can uh, uh, drop the anchor into these things. And number one is this, the person of God. The person of God. When you are uncertain about your salvation, think about the person of God, specifically this phrase, which says, which God who never lies. I already said some things about this, but let me just bring it back up because this is the... the the, what's going on in our minds when we, when we start to struggle is, is this very thing. Everything God does hinges on His character and His integrity. Every promise that God makes hinges on His character and His integrity. If God is found out to be a liar, we cannot trust Him at all. If God's Word is found out to be not true, we cannot trust Him at all. So everything hinges on this aspect of God. Is he a liar or not? Is he dishonest? Is he misleading? Is the Bible uh, with errors in it? Because if it has errors, we cannot believe it. And if God is a liar, then we are all fools. If God could take back a promise, he is a deceptive, misleading God. And so Paul inserts this phrase, the hope of eternal life, which God who who never lies, meaning this, it goes against the very nature and person of God to commit any lie. God cannot mislead. God cannot misrepresent. He cannot deceive. He will not betray, and he cannot tell any 
form of falsehood. Let me just show you some verses here to, to help us with this understanding. In Numbers chapter 23 and verse 19, Numbers 23, verse 19, it says this, God is not man. Sometimes we need to be reminded of just that phrase. God is not man, that he should lie. Or a son of man, that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? When God says he's going to do something, isn't he going to do it? Hebrews 6.18 says this, So that by two unchangeable things, Hebrews 6.18, in which it is impossible, it is impossible for God to lie. We who have fled for refuge might have strong uh, uh, encouragement to hold fast to what? The hope set before us. Our hope hinges on God keeping his promises. 1 Samuel 15, 29 says this, And also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. 1 John 5, 20 says this, And we know that the Son of Man has come and has given us understanding so that we may know who he, know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. In his Son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. This is why Paul tells us and reminds us of this and says it so very clearly that God cannot lie. He will not lie. He's not deceiving you when he says to you, if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, you'll have eternal life. That's not a lie. That's not misleading. And so we're left to either say, okay, God, I trust you and I believe you, and I'm going to put my hope in that, or we're calling God a liar and saying, I can't be certain of my salvation. Why? Because I don't really trust that you're, you're telling me the truth. And Paul says it. He never lies. He's going to do what he says he's going to do. He's going to save you who believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. And the problem is us not submitting underneath the character of God and the person of God that he's going to hold fast to that promise. And in many ways, what we're doing is we're holding God to his promises. We're holding God to his word. That's the first anchor. The second one is this. It says there, the eternal plan of God. So first, the person of God. The second anchor is the plan of God. We can be assured of our salvation because salvation was promised long before the earth was even around. God promised, as it says there, before the ages began. The hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. God made a promise. Who did God promise to? Okay, now I know we've been sitting here for a little while, but I really need you to really turn on the thinking piece of your brain right now because this will blow your mind. Uh, when you start talking about eternity, you're just kind of like, whoa, okay, mind blown a little bit. You know, it's easier just to shut her down, start thinking about the NFL playoffs, but let's not do that. Okay, let's come back. Let's turn on our thinking caps here and really dive in and understand what does this mean. Before the ages began, God promised salvation. 
This promise of salvation was not just to sinners, but listen, God promised salvation to Jesus Christ. God promised salvation to the Holy Spirit. This is the promise that he made in the Trinity between God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. Before the foundations of the world had ever began, God had a plan and God had a purpose for salvation, for your salvation. And it was fortified way before you were even born. In Ephesians chapter 1, in verse 4, it says this. If you want to turn over there to Ephesians chapter 1, in fact, Ephesians chapter 1 is a great example. We're going to look at this in, a, in just a second more of it, but listen to what it says in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Before the foundations of the world. Turn to Revelation 13. Talking about the Lamb's book of life. When was the Lamb's book of life created? I know sometimes we have in our minds, it's kind of this book that all of a sudden these names just appear over time, when they accept Christ into their heart, all these names just keep, keep piling up, and God just keeps having to have chapters and chapters and chapters. No, that's not how it went. Before the foundation of the world, verse 8 of, of, of chapter 13 in Revelation, and all who dwell on the earth will worship him, everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of the Lamb who was slain. Meaning this, that the names of those who are written in the Lamb's book of life were there before the foundations of the world. God had this eternal plan, this eternal covenant of redemption that was set long before the world began. Matthew 25, 34 says the same thing. This plan was set in place. A plan to save humanity from their sin was decided long ago in eternity, a plan for those who would come to know Christ and believe in Him, was set long ago. God is not a reactionary God. God is a planned God. God is a purposeful God. And before even humanity created, He knew that there would come a time where He would have to send His Son, Jesus Christ, to save people from their sin. And there would come a time where He would have to send the Holy Spirit of a promise to seal that person so they could never lose their salvation. This is a trustworthy plan from a God who cannot lie. All three pieces of the Trinity are in play when it comes to salvation. Okay, now I want you to see this. Go back to Ephesians chapter 1. This was the covenant of redemption that was set in eternity past. I know you guys are like, man, we're going deep today. It's like snorkel gear action. Let's get underwater Hey, where, where else are we going to go? Like, we got to just go home to our houses after this. So let's just extend our time together. Even if you get takeout, you still got to go home and eat it, right? So Ephesians, where was I? Oh, yeah, Ephesians chapter 1. I want to show you this. The plan of God and the purpose of God fulfilled in all three persons of the Trinity. That's why we're here, okay? Look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as, here's God the Father, He chose us. That's the role of God the Father. He chose us in Him, when? Before the foundation of the world, 
that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, God the Father predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Why? It's according to what? The purpose of his will. It's according to his perfect plan. So, to the praise of his glorious grace, in which he blessed us in the beloved. Okay, that's the role of God the Father. Here's, here's, here's God the Son. In him, speaking of Jesus Christ, we have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. Here it is again. According to what? His purpose, which he set forth in Christ, first three words of verse 10, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things to him, things in heaven and things on earth. Verse 11, in him we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to what? According to the same purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and you believed in him, look at what it says, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. That's the third person of the Trinity. God the Father chooses you, predestines you, according to his infinite plan. Jesus dies on the cross for your sins according to his infinite and perfect plan. And the Holy Spirit, upon believing, seals you for all time according to this definite plan of salvation. Now, let me ask you something. Do you really think that you can undo the plan of God for salvation? Do you really think that you can commit such a vile sin to undo the perfect plan of God of your salvation. You can't. You can't. This has been decided way before. You can't sin your way out of the grace of God. You can't sin your way out of the perfect plan of God. You can't sin your way out of the love of God. So what are you telling me to do? Submit to that perfect plan and say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to fall before you and say, wow, this is an amazing plan of God. This was decided ages ago, long ago. You came up with this perfect plan to save humanity, to save me from my sins. I'm going to rest my soul in you. And I'm going to concern myself with what? Living a life of obedience now. I trust you, Lord. I believe in you. You're not lying to me. And so you can say it like this. We can wrap it up into these three things here. Our faith is secured in this, the promise of God. That's the hope of eternal life. Our faith is secured in the person of God, a God who never lies. And our faith is secured in the plan of God. One that was set before the ages, of, uh, before the ages began and one that we cannot thwart at all. So listen, here's my encouragement to you. When you're struggling with this truth, when you're struggling with this doctrine, don't go through the list of all the things you did and didn't do in your life because here's where you're going to come out. You're going to come out with, yeah, I don't deserve salvation. Go back to this. God has a perfect plan for my salvation. God is not lying to me. He is telling me the truth. And God has made me a promise of the hope of eternal life, and I'm going to hold him to that promise. 
I'm going to hold him to that. That's the hope of eternal life. You say, wow, this sounds like it's all about God and nothing about me. That's exactly what I'm saying. It is all about God. It is all about his grace. But understanding the grace of God motivates us towards holy living. Turn back to Titus chapter 2 so I can just show you one illustration of this. Titus chapter 2 and verse 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all men, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passion to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. What are we doing? We're waiting for our blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave us himself up to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify himself a people for his own possession, who are what? Zealous for good deeds. We become zealous for good deeds when we are waiting for our blessed hope. We become zealous for good deeds when we fully understand the grace of God in our life. We don't deserve salvation. And here's the reality, people. If you could lose your salvation, you would. Do you believe that? If you believe you could lose it, you would. So rest in the promises of God who is going to keep you so you won't lose it. And be zealous for good deeds. Let me just close with this song. It's called, He Will Hold Me Fast. It's more like a poem, and, and I just want to read these, these lyrics to you. He will hold me fast. It's such a good way to summarize what we've been talking about this morning. It says this, When I fear, my faith will fail. Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path. For my love is often cold, he must hold me fast. That's so good. Those he saves are his delight. Christ will hold me fast. Precious in his holy sight, he will hold me fast. Next line, let's look at it. He'll not let my soul be lost. His promises shall last. Bought at him, by him, at such a cost, he will hold me fast. For my life he bled and died, Christ will hold me fast. Justice has been satisfied, he will hold me fast. Raised with him to endless life, he will hold me fast. Till our faith is turned to sight, when he comes at last. Listen, if you believe that you can keep your own salvation, you have to change the lyrics to this. When I fear my faith will fail, I will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, I will look to my good deeds. I can never keep my hold, though I try a lot. Doesn't make sense, does it? It's all about God. He will hold you fast. Rest assured, believer, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you will inherit eternal life, not because of anything you've done, but because of everything that God 
has done for you. Let's pray together and then Joel's going to come up. We're going to close with a song, Blessed Assurance. Heavenly Father, thank you for time in your word. Lord, I, I know the struggle. I feel the struggle. I get the struggle of the assurance of salvation. I know what it's like to go through days wondering if I will inherit eternal life. And I know what it's like when Satan whispers in my ear that I'm not good enough, that I'm not worthy enough, that I don't deserve it, that, that I am hellbound. I know what that is like. I've felt that. I've experienced that. But I need to fight that. And we all need to fight that with the promises of Scripture. And we all need to fight that Believing that, God, you're not lying to us. You're telling us the truth. You are a truthful God. And we can cling to your promises. That is truly the hope of eternal life that we have. That you are going to keep your promise. In spite of the things that I do in my life. In spite of the things that, the sins in my life, you're still going to save me because of what you have done, because of your choosing, because of your son's death on the cross, because the Holy Spirit has sealed me as the guarantee of my salvation. Lord, help us when we get discouraged and overwhelmed to think about you. Think about the plan of salvation. Think about the promises of salvation. And may we find rest in that. Lord, we want to have a blessed assurance, a happy assurance in our life. And I pray that you would grant that to us. And it would truly be our story. This would truly be my song. And that I would truly be praising my Savior all the day long because of this blessed assurance. In Jesus' name. Amen.